Hello and welcome to Healing From Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, Reiki Master Energy Teacher, Medium, and author of the newest book in a trilogy, A New Life Awaits, Spirit Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, which shares stories and messages from spirit showing us soul wisdom. I am delighted to welcome Stephen Campbell, author of Making Your Mind Magnificent, Flourishing at Any Age. Hello, Stephen, and thank you for joining us on Healing from Within. Hello. Thanks so much for having me on your program. I do appreciate it, Carol. You're welcome. As listeners of Healing from Within have become aware during the many years My amazing guests and I share a love for understanding universal source, the laws of energy, and finding the truth of our eternal human and divine nature as we hope to improve ourselves, our communities, and find greater passion for living amazing lives lived Mm. and filled with unending potential to create and rejoice and love all that is. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Stephen Campbell, who spent 20 years in hospital administration and then went on to, to pursue his greatest love, teaching, shares his latest research on how our brains and mind conform to the messages we give it, and understanding this opens the door to create success in health, personal relationships, and in business Life just becomes so much better. Steve and I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood and remember a person, a place, perhaps an event that might have signaled to you or to others around you the life you might pursue and the interest, work or hobbies or lifestyle you might have. As it appears, the life plan or destiny are imprinted on us even before we're born. Mm. Well, the the event that I can think of that most changed my life, um, besides when I became a Christian when I was 10, was when I was 19. I was studying to be a physician at San Diego State University, and a young man on drugs ran into my Volkswagen bug with his soul's 88, and um, a friend that I was driving home was killed instantly, and I was in the hospital off and on for a year. And there was a time when, because both of my legs had been very badly broken, he had to put me to a spike of body cast. And I was hoping for a one-legged cast because only the right leg, only the right femur had been fractured, not the, not the left femur. But they said, no, we need to put you to one, two-legged body cast. So I said, okay. So they did, laid me on the bed, and I asked them how long I would be in this. They said, probably another four months. I had already been in the hospital for three months. And that was when I lost it. That was when I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't lay in this cast for another uh, four months where you just stare at the ceiling. That's all you can do because it goes from your toes up to your chest. As I lay there crying, finally I was cried out in the wee hours of the morning, I said to myself, wait a minute. Because one of the things that I said to myself, I'm helpless. I'm helpless. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And I realized that wasn't true. Maybe I couldn't bring my friend back. Maybe I couldn't make my bones heal any faster. But I could change what I was thinking. I could change the self-talk that I was giving myself. 
And so I began saying, okay, I'm just going to lock onto and believe that something wonderful is going to come out of this. And I had no idea. How do you know that? I don't know that. But that's what I'm going to lock onto. I'm locking onto that. And I did get out of the hospital eventually, went back to school, graduated. And then, lo and behold, I ended up being a professional singer. And I traveled around America for a couple of years. And it was on that tour that I met my wife, Mary. And we just reached our 50th this last week. Beautiful. Is, yeah, is, Beautiful. is 50 years worth, is one year in a hospital worth 50 years of marriage? There's not even a question. No. So it was when I said to myself, you know what? I can change what I'm saying to myself. No, I want to use a better word. I can replace what I'm saying to myself about myself. And it was then that I began discovering, uh, studying psychology, specifically cognitive psychology, the choices that we make about ourselves. So I've been studying that for about 30 years. Essentially, I've written around four books. And um, I've traveled all over the world, really, sharing what cognitive psychology has learned about how we think in the last 60 years. Well, you discovered the biggest truth there is. We create our own life with our self-talk, our intentions, our connection to spirit. They they just mm-hmm. give us what we are most concentrated yeah. on. So if we have fear or if we have uh, suffering or painful intentions in our thoughts, that's what we stay in. We stay in that energy. Mm-hmm. So you discovered we through that. So that discover that that whole episode. I'm very sorry you had to go through that. I'm always very very sad that anyone has to suffer at all in this beautiful life. You know what? I wouldn't. But I there's reasons. That, but I wouldn't have traded for the world. That's the key. It was very necessary yeah. for your spiritual evolution and development for you to remember what was really important. And everything that mm-hmm. happens to us, we don't have to see it as good or bad. We just have to see it as experience to grow from, to rise above into more uh, joy and rejoicing and happiness. Because we were born, our soul was born to to have those uh, wonderful feelings and emotions, but we also have to have the other to find balance. Mm-hmm. You have Absolutely. to have everything. I love that story you just gave, and it, it, it really uh, pretty much sums up mm, my last 25 years of searching for the truth wow. about who we are, wow. what life's all about, and and how we can succeed in many so so many beautiful ways of love, of compassion, of growing, of uh, of reaching for the stars. You remember that song mm-hmm. from Man of La Mancha? Oh, yes. The Impossible Absolutely. Dream? It's one of my favorites. Me too. <laughs> I have a uh, radio program, and I play it probably yeah. once every two weeks. It's yeah. beautiful, and I heard that when I was 17, and that actually became uh, my life journey, everything mm-hmm. in, that, in that song. Wow. So let's go on wow. to... Tell us uh, why you wrote the book. You partly did. You, you you started to, and what you hope readers can discover that will improve their lives. Well, I think I wrote the book because I'm primarily a scientist, and so 
I've been looking at the psychology of cognitive psychology more than, I'm sorry, the science of cognitive psychology more than anything else. I think you can really narrow down exciting discoveries of cognitive in three different characteristics of the brain. The first one, and this is the basis of my books, is that, and I'll say this really slowly so we don't miss it for your listeners, our brain believes everything we tell it without question, no arguments. So when I say I just cannot do this, like I said at first in the hospital, the brain said, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, you can't. That's the scary part. But the wonderful part is when I said I can do this, the brain says, oh, okay, you're absolutely right. But it doesn't stop with that. Now we get into what is called neuroplasticity. And this comes from um, the work of Eric Kandel, who wrote In Search of Memory, for which he got a Nobel Prize. Neuroplasticity basically is the observation that based on the messages we give ourselves, our brain rewires itself so that those messages begin as a way of thinking and then as a mindset and then over time, when we lock onto those messages, they become a part of who we are. So principle one, your brain believes what you tell it. Now, I need to put a codicil in there. What if what you're saying is true? The brain doesn't even care. And there's a wonderful book out called Phantoms in the Brain by Dr. Vyas Ramachandran out of UC San Diego. Phantoms refer to phantom limbs that have been amputated. And a patient may go into a doctor's office and say, you got to help me. I can't do a thing with my arm. The doctor may say, well, that could be because I cut off that arm six months ago. And the patient may say, well, you didn't tell my brain that. <laughs> my brain still thinks it's there. Yes. The brain wants to pick things up with it. So the brain doesn't care whether what you're saying is true or not. So that's the third. Second principle is this. You and I don't have one self-immature. We have thousands. We have a self-image for every single thing that we do. So I have a self-image for how I see myself as a teacher, as a writer, as a father, as a grandfather, etc. Okay? Those self-images are learned. You weren't born with them. Now, all of us have been born with natural dispositions. I was born a natural teacher. I've always been a teacher. My wife was born a natural organizer. My daughter was born a natural writer. But... Our self-images are learned. And what's so wonderful about that is that it is so easy to understand. Our self-images are learned from our self-talk. Our self-images come from what we say to ourselves about ourselves. So let me give you an example. For the first two years of my life, I said to myself, I'm really dumb in math. And <laughs> guess what? I was. Some I, numbers I out. used to do that, too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In the 70s, I discovered computers, so I began tinkering around and bugged it so much I went back to school and got a graduate degree in computer science. And I began teaching computer courses at various universities. And one day, the dean came to the office at, at, at this college. He said, one of my math professors just quit, Steve. So you are our new math professor. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't do nothing. He said, you want a job? learn. There's the book, next semester. Well, I needed the job, so I ran down to the Rona Park Library of all places, and I picked up all the books I could on brain-based learning. This, this is how this whole thing started back in the 70s. 
And I began teaching my MathCast based on how the brain learns. And students began saying, oh, you are such a good math teacher. I love the way you teach. And then the dean said all this time saying, I will only take math if this is of my professor. Here's what I began doing, Cheryl. I began listening to what those students were saying to me rather than what I had been saying myself for 42 yes. years. And when I did, what did my brain say? Oh, okay. Is it true? Don't care. <laughs> All I care is what you tell me. Well, and over see, time, yes, I got over really time, you, you yeah. learned you were much more than your concept of not being able to be good oh, at yeah. math. You changed it. You rewired your brain is what you did. But you want to, I have to tell you a funny story. <laughs> 25 years ago, when I began seriously to delve into these metaphysical concepts, I had my first reading uh, with a medium from Lilydale. It's a very specific community up in near Buffalo uh, where healers mm -hmm. and mediums go, uh, teachers, and, and, and they do a lot of work there during the summertime. And this was my first reading, and, and he said many things to me, all of which came true in months and years in the future. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but he said mm -hmm. to me, he said to me, spirit is helping you rewire your brain. Mm-hmm. Many things yeah. that you have thought are no longer uh, what fits the purpose of your life journey. Yeah. And, and I yeah. and, 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 and he actually said it just that way. Spirit is helping yeah. you to rewire parts of your thinking and brain in order mm -hmm. to bring you to wow. the pl place where you have to be. So when you said mm -hmm. that just before, I laughed because I hadn't thought about that in a long, yeah. long time. And it, yeah. it's true. Yeah. There's nothing really we is. cannot do if we mm -hmm. take the time and we're consistent and we put the love and effort and we ask for help from people around us. Anything, mm -hmm. really anything is possible. So let's go on to yeah. what do you think are the three most exciting discoveries uh, which psychology has made that we apply to how we think or okay. use our brain? Number one, the first one I gave you, the brain believes what you tell it. That's number one. Good. Number two, our self-images are learned. They come from our self-taught. Number three, and I think this is the most exciting one, our feelings, mainly about ourselves, don't come from how we were raised. They don't come from events in our lives. They don't come from our failures or our successes. Do you know where they come from, Carol? What? Primarily, and this comes from a little book called The Guide to Rationalism by Dr. Albert Ellis, printed back in 1961. Primarily, our feelings come from what we believe about how we were raised and what we believe about events in our lives and our successes and our failures. But people say to me, well, Steve, I, I have a little trouble knowing what I believe. There's a wonderful handle on that, and that is, if you want to know what you're believing, listen to yourself talk. Listen to what you're saying to yourself about yourself. In other words, your feelings about yourself are primarily coming from what you are saying about yourself right now. Now, let's go back to the book 
what to say when you talk to, what you say when you talk to yourself by Dr. Shad Helmstetter, printed back in 1986. Most of what we say, and this is a very, very sad commentary and observation, most of what people say to themselves is negative. Yes. Up to 35%. I've seen different, different studies, but most of what we say to ourselves is negative stuff, which is why I'm so glad you do what you do. Okay. But what's so nice about that is when we become aware of the negative crap we're giving ourselves about ourselves, we can say, wait a minute. I'm not going to let that happen anymore. That's not part of the way I think. I'm going to replace those thoughts. Notice I didn't well, change. In I other words, yeah, in other words, you're not going to embrace that negativity. You know, on any given exactly. day, 50% of the thoughts that float into our mind are coming from energy around us. Call that other people, mm-hmm. souls, and spirit, uh, like a computer. They're just floating in. They're not necessarily our thoughts. And mm-hmm. if we embrace mm-hmm. negativity, it becomes a belief in our thought. And what you're saying is That's to right. embrace what is resonates with your heart and soul to go forward to explore and to uh, right. discard or, or turn away from what will not be good for you. Yes, that's absolutely mm-hmm. correct. We cannot help some of the thoughts or some of the experiences that we have with other people because we're all on our own trajectory, our own soul path and mm-hmm. journey. Uh, we may want to continue along a path with someone like you are married 50 years to Mary and, and, and have had a long interaction with her, and that is good, mm-hmm. but we may not always be able to do that with everyone be, be, mm-hmm. not because yeah. we don't like them because they're, they're a problem it's because they are uh, here to do in, on, in this life on this planet at this time to, to explore different avenues so yeah mm-hmm. that's, that's very interesting so you know yeah. I love Carl Jung and whenever I talk with someone who's interested in psychology I always like to mention that he was different from Sigmund Freud. He was the, Carl Jung was the spiritual psychologist. Mm-hmm. And Sigmund Freud mm-hmm. was the more physical or practical earthbound. Because Carl Jung had a near-death experience. And in that experience, it was just so amazing. He, he didn't even know how to describe it. Uh, but he was always moving towards awareness and helping people know that with their thoughts they could create and with their mind uh, either a life of peace and purposefulness and love and he didn't want to focus as Freud did on the traumatic imprints during childhood uh, that he felt were mm-hmm. rooted in sexual modes of appraising yeah. life so yeah. I always yeah. love to, to remember that you see there are two ways to look at everything. Not that it's wrong mm-hmm. or right, but one seems mm-hmm. to bring some people in a direction better f- adjusted to their needs. Mm-hmm. So let's go yeah. on to, Absolutely. let's go on to, how many self-images do we really have? Well, we don't know, but, but think of this. You have a self-image for every ability, every habit, every distinction, every, you have a self-image for everything. I have a self-image. We have. I have a self-image for every meal that I cook. 
I cook really good scrambled eggs. You <laughs> cook horrible poached eggs. So you can probably sense how my self-image is very high for my scrambled and really low when it's done poached. The point is if I have two self-images for just two meals that I cook, you can imagine how many self-images I have for all the thousands of things I've learned how to do in the 74 years I've been walking the earth. So we have, we don't know how many self-images. I think it's infinite. One for everything. <laughs> I think it's probably yeah. infinite. Yeah, there's just there's no limit to it. Yes, absolutely. You tell a story in your book uh, how we decide how we view perhaps a city. You know how we come to determine <laughs> how our brains learn. How our brains learn philosophy. Yes. Let me share with you how, how our brains learn because it's amazing. I use my daughter as an example. We have two daughters, Abby and Sarah. Sarah's our youngest. She's now. 42 years old. But when she was three years old, she was raised in Rona Park. Rona Park is a little town about 60 miles north of San Francisco. The closest thing to the city is in Rona Park is the Raleigh Shopping Center. So Sarah knew nothing about a city. So Mary said, I teach her about the city. Mary was an educator. So I said, okay, here's how the brain learns. Imagine, if you will, the outline of a brain. Okay? Got that in your head? Okay. That's Sarah's brain in terms of what she knows about a city. Nothing. It's completely blank. I then read her a book about the city. Now take a little, draw a little circle inside that brain and put it inside the circle book. That represents a neural cluster, a little cluster of neurons under the prefrontal cortex of your head, which is under your forehead. Okay. Then draw another circle and draw the word book. That's another book that I've read her. Then draw another circle and put in San Francisco and, and put Oakland and then put cars and lights and people and cars. And all of these, all of these circles that you see inside the, the outline of a brain represents neural clusters. This represents all the stuff that you learn during the day. During the day. When Sarah went to sleep that night, and this is what our brains do, first of all, our brain said, oh, great, now leave me alone. <laughs> for the next eight hours. Because now what I need to do is I need to make sense out of all the stuff that you gave me during the day. I didn't have time to do that because you gave me so much. So now that you're asleep, I can make sense out of all the stuff that you gave me. I can learn. So what the brain does is it looks at all those little circles and it begins to connect them with axons, dendrites, synaptic crests, etc. So now you're watching all those circles being connected. What you're watching is you're watching the Sarah learn. This is what our brain does when we learn. It connects all so, of the stuff so that we learn during the yeah. day. So in other words, the brain begins to see relationships among the images. Yes. There were buildings right. in the book, and, and just as That's there were right. buildings in the image of Sesame Street, it lays down an actual connection called yeah. neural connections involving axons and mm-hmm. dendrites and synapses, mm-hmm. the components of a neuron. So that's how we learn. Yes. So now, yeah. where do our feelings come from? That's where our learning comes from, as the brain works. Where do our feelings come from? Well, we could say that our feelings come from where we were raised, how we were raised, but what we're discovering, and this is from... Guide to Rational Living by Dr. Ellis, our feelings mainly, as I said a few minutes ago, mainly come from our beliefs. Our feelings come from our beliefs about the pandemic, about ourselves. 
In other words, our feelings about the pandemic don't come from the pandemic. They came from what we say about the pandemic. Let me give you an example, okay? In 2019, I discovered at the beginning of the year, I had cancer and then cataracts and then diabetes. And then at the end of the year, I discovered I had advanced heart disease. My mitral valve was looking all over the place. Well, the cancer they cured by taking a large scalp off my head, and I'm cancer-free. The diabetes, I've had to completely switch my diet, and I've lost all this weight. The uh, cataracts, they replaced my lenses, and now I don't need glasses anymore. And for the heart, I had open-heart surgery, and my heart is as good as new. The point I want to make, however, is that my feelings did not come from the cancer or the cataracts. You know where they came from, Cheryl? They came from what I was saying to myself about the cancer and the cataracts and the heart disease. Yeah, so I'm going to say you have lived through all that and you have cured or managed all that with your thoughts and with your belief system and I I very often say to clients who come to sessions when they say they have this or that I say to them you know what you really don't have anything it's really your soul trying to explore a different area of physical life and you can you can change that again Mm-hmm. With your thoughts, mm-hmm. with your diet, with with changing relationships, sometimes we do have that ability. I don't want to say mm-hmm. power. We do that. We do have that choice and yeah. that ability, and it yeah, it choice. does it yeah. does work. It does mm-hmm. work. It really but, does. But if it's yeah. but if it's in your soul's journey, I did hospice work for for eight years, oh, volunteer wow. work. Because I was learning wow. all about energy and connections to yeah. spirit. And, and I want to tell people, uh, not be afraid of uh, transition, because there is no death. Mm-hmm. There is, a, like Carl Jung knew, uh, there is only mm-hmm. uh, a transition, a transcendence. Mm-hmm. Because the soul, mm-hmm. the energy, everything you are, survives. That's my personal mm-hmm. awareness yeah. and belief. It's not everybody's. So anyhow, so life is still precious, even when we're going through challenges, because every day is a new day to experience something. I want to thank you, Stephen Campbell, for showing us how to use brain science to Mm -hmm. transform life and negative thinking, improve focus and clarity, and make our daily life experiences more positive, productive, and simply, quite simply, happier. To read more about using and understanding your magnificent mind, go to stephenrcampbell.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, Stephen Campbell helps us learn how our brain and mind works and the secret to success and happiness in life which is found partially inside your brain, partially inside your heart or soul, or in the thinking you create as you mature and realize your personal power to create your own thoughts and realities and beliefs. Based on the science of cognitive psychology, we have discovered how to 
end, I don't know if end is quite right, but how to change negative thinking while increasing positive thinking, how to solve problems more easily, how to use the power of affirmations and self-talk to improve results, and how to experience a growing sense of confidence and improved self-image. Stephen would like us to remember how self-images are created and how they can be changed for greater efficacy. Stephen writes, You began this book to change how you see yourself, change some of the things you do, change some habits you have, and change you. You have discovered, however, that your mind often becomes your greatest obstacle. In fact, it's job is to keep you from changing, to keep you in your comfort zone, to keep you where you are. And yet, and this is the enigma, your mind is the most satisfied, excited, and creative when you are changing. Every one of the thousands of self-images images you have was learned. You were not born with them. Uh, most of them were based on three elements. What others said to you, how others reacted to you, and what you have said to yourself, your own self-talk. And as you have learned in this book, the brain accepts all of these unquestionably as the absolute truth. But you now want more than that. You want to choose how you see yourself. You now want to proactively create your own self-images rather than wait around for others to tell you who you are and what you can or cannot do. It is for this reason that what we believe about ourselves is far more important than you can possibly imagine. And it is also for this reason that all meaningful and lasting growth must start on the inside with how you see yourself with your really now your self-images. Stephen and I would have you remember that allowing, accepting, surrendering to all aspects or challenges in your life begins with your perceptions, awareness and growing higher consciousness of self and how we are all connected and similar to each other in wanting to live a happy, productive life. Our mind, our thoughts, our self-image, and our desire to grow are the keys to using our mind and thoughts more effectively. It can be done for as we think and act in more positive ways, accept ourselves, allow for change, we grow aware of the magnificent souls we have always been. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within, and author of the newest book in a trilogy, A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, and invite you to visit my website to read about and listen to leaders in the metaphysical, scientific, spiritual, medical, legal, psychology, and arts and music fields as they seek an understanding of our human and divine qualities and means to improve life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you.